This is episode 559 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I have a special interview with James Walton of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. Hey everyone, before we get to the interview, this episode is sponsored by the HydroBlue VersaFlow water filter. The VersaFlow is one of the most versatile water filters currently made. And not only can you use it for your personal water filter needs, but you can use it to create a family-sized water filter. Now, with the possibilities of filtering up to 100,000 gallons, the VersaFlow could filter one gallon of water for each family member for many, many years. So to make it easy for you, I have created a free video and a PDF tutorial that shows you how to easily turn the VersaFlow into a family-sized water filter. Right now, you can have this family-sized water filter for under $25. So to watch the video, get the free PDF tutorial and a code for 20% off of the VersaFlow, Click the link in the show notes or visit PrepperWebsite.com forward slash VersaFlow. Hey everyone, I have a great episode for you today. I have an interview with James Walton of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. He is the CEO and also the host. But on this episode, he is talking to us about building your local community of preparedness. And he has some great ideas. He has written a book. He's also an author. And his book is entitled Come Unity community and he shares some of the ideas and strategies on how you can build community within your neighborhood and not really come at it from the preparedness you know like hey the zombies and we need to be prepared for the emp and have people looking at you really really weird and so there's a lot of great information the interview is kind of long it goes uh over an hour but there's a lot of great information i almost broke it up into two different episodes but you know once you start listening to it you're going to want to listen to the whole thing so i i am very excited to bring this interview uh today and i know this is one of those topics like i mentioned earlier uh, a couple of episodes back this is one of those topics that everybody wants to know like how can i get other people on board with preparedness how can i build my community of preparedness and and how can i have my you know quote unquote prepper group right And so if you can build preparedness into your community and you just make it something that is the foundation of it, well, then that is where you want to start. That is the way to go. You already have in common, you already have it in common that you live next to these people and they're part of your community. And so why not get them as prepared as possible? So he shares, like I said, three big strategies. We have a lot of information. He talks a little bit about a lot of stuff. And so I know that you're going to enjoy it. So uh, let me go ahead and stop yapping and let's get to that interview with James Walton of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Let's go ahead and and jump in, right? Because I don't want to waste a lot of time uh, just hearing myself. Um, when I, I was getting into your book, because you're, um, you're the author of uh, Come Unity Community, and then also the owner of the Prepper Broadcasting Network. And you all, you've also written other books. You're, you've done a lot of, uh, uh, you're doing a lot of 
uh, you know, articles out there and things like that that, I, that, that I'm always picking up on, on uh, Prepper website and uh, doing a lot of great stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I just want to give you just a little bit uh, of an opportunity. As I was reading your book, uh, I was reading about how you got into preparedness and that first story was just very interesting to me. And so I always like to hear how people got into preparedness. Sure. And so uh, I think your story is great. So would you, as we're getting into this, would you share a little bit of that with us? Yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a weird story, Todd. And it's a, it's almost like a supernatural story a little bit in a sense. And I don't know if I got as much into the supernatural part uh, in the book as I will now, because I've had more time to think it out. That book came out in 2017. And, uh, you know, that, as you can imagine, whenever you have an interview <clears throat> and I do them a lot, you get asked that question, you know, how did you get into this thing and this, this wild business of preparedness that you're running around in. Uh, but for me, you, you kind of have to know who I was before hurricane Irene to understand the gap that I had to bridge because I really was, uh, yeah, well, I was, I was a young husband and a young father and I was acting very young. <clears throat> I remember moving into just, just, kind of sum it up real quick about the type of guy that I was. Uh, when we moved into our home, uh, my father-in-law gave me a hammer and it was the first hammer I ever owned. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of where I was coming from. I was a chef at the time and, you know, musician before that. And, you know, that type of person really, really separated from the whole idea of, uh, you know, how to take care of a home, how to do any sort of tasks that are, that were, you know, built around that kind of a maintenance idea. And, and aside from food, the idea of self-sufficiency was so far away that it was something I just never even thought about. Uh, and when Hurricane Irene rolled through in the year 2011, it was, a, you know, it was a, tough on a lot of people. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Hurricane Harvey, you know what I mean? But it was tough on a lot of people. I think uh, the average the average household was out of power for about a week, some for much longer. But for me, we had we had a place to go and, you know, we had family and stuff like that. We had also had a newborn baby, you know, so my first son, Carter, was born in August. And I think Irene hit in September. So and that was our first child. You know, we were married a few years, first child. And for those of you who remember having your first child <laughs> and what that's like, you know, you already feel like this thing can shatter if I move it the wrong way. And then you realize you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in this situation now where ours was unique because we lived in, in a sort of a cul-de-sac neighborhood and we had a tree come down, which didn't allow us to get out of the neighborhood with a vehicle. Uh, which we worked around that. And like I said, I don't have this exciting survival story. What I had was this epiphany, you know, for a guy like the one I was explaining, I had this epiphany about basically about failure as a man and as a husband and as a dad, you know, it was this overwhelming idea of like, you know, we got lucky here, Jimbo. <laughs> this wasn't that bad, but what if it was bad? You know, what if it was Katrina? 
What if it was something like that? You know, I didn't have food storage. I didn't have backup lights or power of any kind. We had enough formula to deal with what we needed at the time. I mean, I, my wife was still breastfeeding, so it wasn't like that was a huge situation, but I'm sure we had a week's worth of diapers. We may have had a little more from the baby shower, but we were hardly in any position to deal with a real emergency. And it was eye-opening, Todd. It really was. And what started happening, because we had Carter only a year after we were in the home, and I had already been reading these magazines that were coming to my door from the prior owner of the home. And they were, uh, I'm sure many of your listeners and yourself are probably familiar with them. They were cheaper than dirt catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> and you remember the type of guy that I was. So a cheaper than dirt catalog was like, it was cool. It was cool. And when you get to the back of those cheaper than dirt catalogs, you start seeing some real stuff and you're like, whoa, what is, what is this world? Mm. And I think the culmination of those two things started to sort of swirl around in my head. And that's when I, that's when I started looking, that's when I started looking into prepping and things like that. And actually, I think the first, the first horse I really tied up to my preparedness wagon was prepperpodcast.com. I jumped on listening to these podcasts and, uh, yeah, that's really where it all started from then on. It became, it became sort of an all encompassing thing like it does, you know, most people, they get into prepping and then they get deep into prepping because it has that effect on you. Uh, but I was not immune to a lot of the, the pitfalls that most people make in the early days. I don't know about you, Todd, but I, uh, one of the funniest things I ever did, one of the first purchases I ever made as a prepper, if you will, uh, you know, whenever you cross that threshold was silver. I was completely convinced from reading different websites that I had to have silver first because we were all going to be, we were all going to be buying food with silver in a matter of months. <laughs> that was one of those fear purchases that I made. I talk about that a lot in, in the writing that I do these, like uh, these early on fear buys, these mistake purchases that we make in the early days of prepping because of, of what it is we might be reading on a regular basis, whatever tickles our fancy, you know, if it's the super volcano, if it's the EMP, whatever it is, you wind up making this crazy purchase, at least one in the early days of preparedness. And that, not that buying silver is crazy by any stretch, but for a guy like me who was completely unprepared, it probably was not something I needed to buy first, you know? But, uh, yeah, that's how it all began, Todd. And, and the way I got into this broadcasting situation, it's another funny story. I told you I started listening to Prepper Podcast, and uh, they had a commercial running on there back in 2012, I guess it was now. And they were basically looking for hosts. They were basically mining their own listeners for hosts. And I was very straightforward when I – when I contacted them and said, I wouldn't mind doing a show, but I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> now we might be able to run with that angle. I'm not sure. And that's kind of how the I am Liberty show came to be. But uh, yeah, those are kind of the beginnings of how this all got started. Oh, that's a, um, that's a great story, man. Because when you, I, I, I can completely understand that being a father, you want to be there for your family. You want to make sure that, uh, you know, when, when the chips are down and they look at you, whether it's, you know, <laughs> your kids or your wife, they look at you, you're able to have some answers. Of course, we can't have all the answers, but you want to, you know, you don't want to kick yourself 
you know, later on and say, man, it, I could have easily had some food storage. I could have easily had some water. I could have easily had some backup lights and candles and things like that. And so, you know, that's just one of those things that it, you know, I, I guess being a father helps, it helps with that. And so I thought that was a great story. I wanted you to share that. So thanks for doing that. Um, let, let's go ahead and move into this, to this, uh, the idea of community. When you talk about community, you know, what are you talking about? You know, you wrote this book, uh, you know, community, community. Um, when you talk about community, what is in your mind? And let's go ahead and, and try to tackle that because it's so easy to get, you know, different points of view when we're just talking about words. So, you know, tell me what you think about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a very clear distinction. I'm glad you bring it up because uh, sometimes I can get halfway into this thing before people get a grasp of what it is I'm actually getting at. Because what I'm getting at might be different than what you think. Uh, like I said, I started broadcasting in 2012. And, you know, it was when I say broadcasting, I probably shouldn't even say it that way. I started talking into my computer microphone at, in 2012 <laughs> <laughs> and recording it and imagining that someone was listening. But it only really took me a year of doing, like maybe a year and a half of doing shows uh, on a weekly basis to realize that there's no way I can do podcasts every week about how bad things are and how bad people are and how bad politicians are <laughs> because I will lose my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm inherently a you know, the opposite. I'm, I'm definitely not a pessimistic person, you know, uh, by any stretch, which is funny because when you, when you think prepper, I think a lot of people think pessimist, but most preppers that I know are eternal optimists. Um, anyhow, after about a year, I understood that something, well, I had to have a better goal than this. You know, I can't, I'm not going to do this if this is what it's going to be me griping and moping for an hour a week. And, I really started looking for solutions in 2013, big ones, you know, big ones outside of the idea of reaching inventory goals and skill goals within your house, you know, within the four walls of your household, because we all know there are serious limits when it comes to just what's going on within your home. You know, it's just the reality of it. You know, there, there's a lot of limits. Uh, so I started thinking about, you know, what, what could a community be? What could a, an actual neighborhood be? You know, I, I'd read articles about that. I call them and maybe some people out there have them. I don't know, you know, how that, how it'll play out when things go bad, but I know there's a handful of people who have what I call the, uh, they're kind of like utopian prepper communities, right? This idea that I'm going to hand pick like, like the shield agency from the Marvel movies, all these, <laughs> all these perfect people with perfect skill sets to meet all of my needs. And we're all going to get along and we're going to, we're going to be the rulers of this post-apocalyptic lands landscape. And man, I didn't like that idea. I, I heard about that idea. And all, the first thing that came to mind was just logistics scared me. Like, where are we all going to meet? How are we all going to get there? You know, that, that sort of stuff. How many of you have families and what does that look like? It just seemed really scary to me and, and unrealistic personally. I'm not attacking you if you have your own group, more power to you, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about the actual people who live in your neighborhood because I think as preppers, they're the most 
Yeah, they're the most underutilized resource at your disposal and, and vice versa, right? I mean, think about what a resource you are in your neighborhood and people don't even know it because you probably hide it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I have some neighbors down the street one time we had a hurricane and somebody actually had a tree go through their house down the street. It was pretty ugly, but uh, they came down and we said, you guys, okay, we've got a generator if you need any you know, power for devices or anything like that. And they said, Oh no, we're fine. We're preppers. And then they ran back up into their house. <laughs> and I loved that, that, that really, this was way when I was wet, well into this sort of mission already. But when, when I talk about community, Todd, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that because every neighborhood is unique. Obviously every community is unique across America. So I'm not saying that I have the blueprint to get you from, uh, you know, an isolated household of four inside of suburbia to an entire neighborhood of people who are well armed and well prepared for the end of the world. You know, that's definitely not what I want to talk about tonight. But what I do want to talk about is the incremental steps that you can take to start talking about preparedness and emergency preparedness in your neighborhood and have people number one, listen, and number two, take action. Because I think it's I think those goals are realistic and those goals are possible. That's, that's, uh, that's good, man. That's good. So, um, I love to, I, I love the fact that you're talking about the neighborhood and, and what you can do there. And I, I know I have talked about that before on my podcast and I've even written about, you know, what I would do and how I would, you know, what kind of mode I would go into um, and so I'm really happy that you're talking about that because there are a lot of, you know, I get a lot of email. I'm sure you do as well about, you know, prepper communities and, and stuff in the, in the idea is, yeah, I'd like to have the doctor. I'd like to have the nurse, the engineer. I'd like to have, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the movie, not the movie, the television show, the colony. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Oh, yeah. They, oh, yeah. That first season, it was really kind of a bust because they put a group together of people that, were really good, you know, and that engineer, I mean, come on. I mean, they had like all the power they ever wanted. I mean, they, they, they knew exactly what they were doing. You know, people see stuff like that and they're like, man, that's what, that's what kind of group I want. I want people to be experts in everything. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll be, you know, superheroes kind of like what you were talking about. So uh, I, I love hearing that when you're talking about that. So let's say we have this idea and we're like, okay, James, I'm going to buy into what you're saying. Uh, I'm going to look at my community and I'm going to think about making these incremental steps and moving forward and and getting, you know, getting in touch with my neighborhood. How do you suggest someone get started? How do you suggest someone moves forward with, with something like that? Sure. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest question, right? It's the biggest question of all. So uh, we live in an interesting time, Todd. We live in a time where people seemingly... Uh, struggle to communicate even in, you know, on the simplest of terms, you know, it seems like we almost, and I mentioned this in the intro to the book that we spend our time almost avoiding contact and avoiding conversation with our neighbors, almost running from it. And, you know, some of that does have to do with the fact that we're busy people, you know, it's, it's a different, I grew up in, in the row homes of a little town called Marcus Sook, which is Southeast of, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
and uh, you didn't have any options. You know what I mean? We all played together as kids and we all, we lived on literally on top of each other. So we knew everything about everyone and everyone knew each other and talked. And, uh, you know, you get out into these wider and more open spaces in suburbia of today and it's tougher. You know, it's, it's harder to sort of have that daily interaction. Uh, and on top of that, I think a lot of people don't want to have it. You know, I think they have it with their phone. I think they kind of hit that button and get that sort of buzz from Facebook and stuff like that. So that need might even be fulfilled a little bit. What I have found though, is that uh, you can sort of build that back, you know, but you got to have a goal. Uh, I think a goal is huge. And I think a group is huge. And, and like I said, we live in interesting times where it's nearly impossible to figure out what goal you should <laughs> undertake that's not going to make half the neighborhood mad, half the neighborhood scared, and the other half excited about what you're doing. So what I did was sit and wonder about that. You know, what can we do that makes sense to me that would that I would be engaged in and interested in, obviously, because you, if, if you're going to be sort of the driving force behind this thing, you better have a little passion for it. And I'm not saying this is the only option, but I decided to push the idea of creating a community garden in a, in a space in our neighborhood. You know, I thought that number one, it would be a really good option for us because of the way our neighborhood's laid out in particular. Number two, my son was still very young when we started this and it was something I wanted him to be a part of growing up. And uh, finally, I also thought if there's anything in the world that we can agree on left, right, whatever derivation of human being or American there is gardening is that thing, you know, community gardening in particular is one of those topics that you can sell to almost everybody. You know, it takes a very rare person to say, you know what I really don't want is a community garden. You know, you're going to, you're going to have a tough time rousing someone up over a community garden. So, uh, that was kind of my in route. And that was the in route that I mentioned in the book also, uh, how to sort of start, you know, fun, the whole nine yards, how we did it. There's many ways that you can do it, but I go into detail about how we did it. Uh, and what you gain there, Todd, it's much more than just, okay, now we have a little garden. What you gain there is you start to pull people together and make your first sort of core group. You know, so you start to build that core group. And while you're out there in the community garden working together, you're talking, you're formulating these relationships. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you might have five to 10 people that are all involved in this community garden. And that's the, that is the catalyst to it all. You know, from there, you just, it's like, it's like social media almost, <laughs> you know what I mean? You get those first few followers and then you build on that. And uh, the most important thing, like I said, it's just, it's, it's defining that goal and making sure that it's one that works across the, the board. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, your neighborhood better than me, obviously. So it may be something different than community gardening. I really like it for a number of reasons. Uh, we've expanded our community garden in a very big way. We've even have peach trees up the street now. Um, but it's very hard to say no to a community garden. The other little, little preppery secret about a community garden too, is obviously you're never going to feed your neighborhood, no matter how big your community garden gets right in times of need, you're never, it's never going to work. 
unless you have a, you know, acres of field that are you're going to dedicate to it that are out of nowhere. But what you do have, and it took me a few years to figure this out, even well after the book was written, I think, uh, what you do wind up with is a lot of seeds, you know? So, so even if you have a community garden that's full of tomatoes and cucumbers and, and zucchini and something comes down the pike that's unexpected, you kind of have like a living survival seed bank up the street, you know, and that's, that's definitely an added bonus. But step one for us and step one, I think, for most communities is going to be gather a small group of people together and start talking about, hey, we should have a community garden because you should and because it's, it's nearly impossible to anger someone in these very sensitive and soft times with a community garden. Yeah, I, I think also when you do that, you're also building the skills, I mean, uh, of gardening because there'll be people that might want to do it and might want to jump in. Uh, and you've got the whole organic movement and you hear about that all the time on, see it on social media or whatever, but then, you know, you're, they're getting skills that if it ever goes to, you know, hell in a handbasket, they're able to maybe reproduce gardening in their backyard or in their front yard or wherever they need it or to expand it. So we also found some masters too. You know, sometimes you get lucky and some masters come out of the woodwork and we have a, 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 a saint, an angel of a woman up the street by the name of Linda, who, you know, she lives in our little suburban town. But most of her life, she spent homesteading with her husband out west wow. and not out west of the United States, but in the western part of Virginia. And uh, she <laughs> she's a force, man. You know, and you just you never know that about her. Yeah, You never know that about her and, unless you make something like this happen wow that that's 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 awesome man because then um, she has skill because that just takes it to the next level she's got things that that aren't even dealing with with gardening that she can help out and provide advice upon so and then you can start talking about not necessarily preparedness but homesteading and and go that route and that starts to pique people's interest man so man that's that's pretty awesome yeah, I mean, one of the things, Todd, that I mentioned in the book and I talk about when I have these talks is like I was talking about with the the sort of utopian prepper group, you know, that sort of ideal group of people. One of the things we overlook about our own communities and neighborhoods is everybody has a job. Like most everybody is an expert at something in every household. Sometimes there's two experts in each household, you know, and you just don't know who they they are and you don't know what they know and the only way you find that out is if you get to know yeah. you know and that that was kind of the case with linda you know linda's a, an older woman who just walks the neighborhood because well she she used to walk well she still really basically does she walks neighbors dogs she's one of these she's one of these eternal souls that just burns hot 24 7 she's always doing something you know and uh you know you'd never know the backstory you'd never know the skill set that she possessed if if we didn't get to know her. That's great. That's a good story. All right. So you got some other stuff for us. Like if we're going, continuing to move forward, um, you know, the gardening, what else could we possibly do? Yeah, sure. So uh, there really are, I mean, it all comes down to three, uh, three sort of core initiatives, I guess you could call them. Uh, The community garden is kind of the breaking of the ice. Right. It's it's identifying that core group of people who are either going to follow you 
you know, that's that's the other important part about this, Todd, is when you start the community garden group, you also have the ability to hand off the ball if you're not the type of person who wants to run things, you know, because that was one thing I had to recognize when when sort of picking this idea apart was, you know, you're a guy who gets up and talks on a microphone every week. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't mind doing this stuff that you're saying people should do in this book. And I had to come to the realization that not everybody's like me and there's introverted people who really want to see these things get done and maybe they don't want to do them. So that, that initial group is can also help you sort of hand the ball off to someone who might be better suited for the, the leadership of this thing. That's a good point. And that can be very valuable depending on the type of person that you are. Uh, but once you create that smaller group, obviously the next thing that's going to happen, and it's going to happen almost naturally, is we have a garden group now, right? So it's the year 2019. What we probably need to do is start a group text or a group email. And, uh, you know, that needs to be sort of our garden group email. And that that can either quickly or slowly but eventually evolve into a neighborhood-wide communications network. And it sounds like a lot, but it's really not very far-fetched, and a lot of communities already have sort of a shared email. Uh, if I can make a recommendation, we use an app called Nextdoor, mm-hmm. and it's phenomenal for for what we need it for. You know, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, go check it out. It's It's not just a... Well, it's kind of laid out like a social media platform in a way, but it's a lot more than that. You know, it's it's a whole lot more than that. One of the most amazing <laughs> one of the most amazing little things that Nextdoor offers is every Halloween they allow you to create a Halloween map uh by basically placing a candy corn on your home if you're giving candy out. And in these larger suburban neighborhoods, it's such a big help when you have children and you know which houses are giving and which aren't, you know, and it's, again, it's what I really love about next doors. It's this idea that people check in and they slowly start to take ownership of the neighborhood. You know, they start to understand that, yeah, maybe I should give candy out this year because I'm part of this thing, you know, or, or there's cars being robbed a few streets over. We need to do something about that. There's a whole crime and safety, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not pushing the app. I'm not affiliated in any way, but that's what we use. We started with a Google mail group, you know, just like most people probably have. Uh, but there's a lot of users on Nextdoor, and I think it's very effective. Uh, any questions on the communication group, Todd, that come to mind or in the chat room before I move into the next step? Uh, because it's, I'm giving like, the mega high, high end stuff here, uh, <laughs> you no, know, and I, I don't, I don't want to run across anything important since we got some live listeners. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I haven't seen anything in the, in the chat necessarily about network uh, in communications in the neighborhood, but I do agree with you. Nextdoor is a very powerful app and um, I mean, it was very helpful during Harvey. And so, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, have you thought about something that's not connected to mobile phones or anything like that? I know one of the things, uh, I worked with a lady that their neighborhood was pretty tight. And uh, it wasn't Harvey. It was back maybe uh, Hurricane Ike, I think, that uh, they were all on just the regular, you know, walkie-talkie type, uh, whatever, uh, you know, uh, Motorola type uh, phones that you can get or walkie-talkies that you can get and they were all on like channel whatever you know like seven nice. or whatever 
And so uh, have y'all talked a little bit about that maybe? No, I haven't explored that at all within my neighborhood or in the book. Okay. No, that's, that's not something we haven't got to, but I love it. It's a great idea for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I'll be monitoring Facebook if anybody has anything uh, specific about uh, questions about the community network and and building that. But uh, that would be very powerful to be able to share information. So what's uh, there's another step there that you have. with? Yeah, sure. Definitely. Uh, uh, One of the let me just step back real quick. One of the important things that uh, I don't even I don't even lead this. This just kind of happens in my neighborhood on its own now. And I didn't start it or anything like that. It's just, I think, a product of having those communication lines open. Uh, We have a lot of people who do a lot of checking around before and after storms and and cold weather events and stuff like that. And I really really like that. You know, that's a really big part of it. I really enjoy seeing people sending out messages about certain addresses and certain people. And have we checked up on them? Have we checked up on him? That type of thing. Uh, and again, that's just a product of once you have those communication lines open, those things can happen and those types of questions can get answers. Um, so sort of the final piece of the, not the final piece of the puzzle, but the final piece of these, uh, sort of starting gate initiatives is the idea of having an actual neighborhood watch and sort of revitalizing that. You know, because I, you go into a lot of neighborhoods that have a neighborhood watch sign and no real, nobody really knows what that means. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't have really any idea what it is. Who's a, who, who's responsible for it? Does anybody know what to do in any type of situation at all? Uh, what I found is there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, one of the best I think that I've ever seen, and I can get this to you, Todd, if your if your listeners are interested. Um, they have these incredible sheets that they give out that basically give you could give to everyone in your neighborhood, and they allow you to sit down and really map out whether it be a vehicle or a person, and all the important details of that person or vehicle in sort of a questionnaire form with pictures also, you know, so, so things like if you see something happen, a burg a burglary happen and a car speeds away, you know, this, this particular document gives you the ability to talk about the make and model of the car colors. A lot of questions that I think most people overlook in the heat of the moment, you know, and, mm-hmm. and when you talk about having, having an effective neighborhood watch, it comes down to eyes on the neighborhood, you know, and eyes on the neighborhood is kind of one thing, but then being effective with what you see is, is definitely the bigger thing, right? So we saw a man leave this house and run into the dark, you know what I mean? But what I think where a community can be very effective is when they have guidelines like that and they can say, you know, he was wearing a white hooded sweater. I saw he had blue eyes, whatever, pants, height, weight, that type of thing. These things I think a lot of people look over or overlook rather. Um, and if you give people the right resources and the right training, it makes a world of a difference. 
And with Nextdoor, with the Nextdoor app, you get a we you get a snapshot of what crime is looking like in your neighborhood already, mm-hmm. and you can easily sort of play off that. You know, it's very easy for people to get nervous and scared when crime kicks up in a neighborhood, and it gives you a very easy in route to say, "Let's revisit this neighborhood watch. Let's take some time out with the local police. Let's go, you know, take them out to a pizza dinner or spaghetti dinner, or whatever." And tell them that, you know, we want to revitalize this neighborhood watch. We want your support. We want you, you know, the local police are going to tell you exactly what works and what doesn't, what you can do and can't do. Uh, that's one of the most important relationships you can start if you really want to go down the path of, of having an effective neighborhood watch is to tell the police uh, and get their advice. You know, what is it you want us to do? What is it you don't want us to do? Everybody remembers the the Zimmerman situation from some years back. And, uh, you know, wherever you fell on that sort of situation, I think it was very clear that nobody was sure what they were doing. (laughs) You know, I have to imagine that if if he was in a position where he had met with police and, and really sat down and talked about what I should do in a situation, we wouldn't have had the issues that we had with that. But, uh, what comes from the neighborhood watch is this idea of ownership of the neighborhood. And I think that's where of the, of the neighborhood in totality, right? So naturally you invest money into a home, you have a property, you keep it up and you realize that this, I own this, this is my investment. When you start looking at crime and sort of almost looking at your neighborhood from a defensive strategic point of view, it's nearly impossible for you not to start looking at looking at it as an owner or creating ownership within the neighborhood on a whole. You know, this idea that we want to protect the people in from these streets to these streets, you know? And uh, to me, it's also a very easy way to prepare for something that, to prepare a sort of line of defense if things ever do get worse. You know, so rather than starting from, zero and saying, Oh my God, there's people coming into our neighborhood all of a sudden and they're taking things, you know, and the police are busy or they're, you know, who knows what the situation could be. There could be no rule of law whatsoever. Uh, when you have a neighborhood in, in, in tow, you have a group, you have meetings, you talk about things, you're paying attention to crime in the neighborhood. You also understand sort of the borders of your neighborhood, all that stuff, really helps you in a situation where you you come to the realization that oh we really need to defend our neighborhood now in a legitimate situation from from you know theft and while that might sound like the walking dead in some sort of apocalyptic situation these things happen after almost every major hurricane you know after almost every major hurricane you get pictures of people with guns standing outside their business with guns standing outside their homes because that's what they have to do to keep their belongings their own. So it is a stepping stone. And again, building that ownership within the neighborhood, I think is a crucial part of uh, if you want to take it further than those three steps, which I think is very possible. Well, I I think the the three things that you've talked about really take care of a lot of things in preparedness, right? The gardening is going to talk about food. And if, if nothing I mean, you're bringing people together and you're building those relationships. You're building that community, right? But at the same time, you're getting people to think about food. So you have that. 
on the communications network, you're getting people to realize the importance of being able to share information. And you're, you're talking about comms and, and, you know, that aspect of it. And then when you talk about the, you're talking about neighborhood watch, you're talking about defense. And, you know, to some people, it's going to be, be on the lookout to other people is going to be, you know what, I might need to get something to defend myself, right? And so that might go to that firearms or, or whatever, maybe some training, martial arts training or whatever it might be. But it, it's these small little moves, like you said, at the very beginning, when we started talking about these small moves that get people to think about this stuff. And we're not, you haven't even talked about being a prepper, you haven't talked about preparedness, you haven't talked about any of that kind of stuff. You're just talking about, you know, stuff that can help the neighborhood and help each other, you know, be healthier, safer, and, you know, all that good stuff. So I think it's a great way of looking at it. Now, all of this stuff that you're talking about, because Samantha has a question in, in the, the comments here. Um, it's all voluntary basis, right? Because she asked, how do you deal with the slackers or people that don't want to contribute? You know, right now, um, how do y'all deal with that if, if you if you even have to deal with that right now? They don't exist in the in what we do, that's all. Okay. You know, I mean you have to go into it understanding that yeah, there's gonna be people who are aged out of being any help whatsoever. And there are gonna pe- be people who are maxed out uh, you know time-wise, work, you know, the whole thing. I mean, you have to build a framework on the people that want to do it. You know, that's that's what we've done anyway. You know, there's nobody in, in any leadership position in our neighborhood that doesn't want to be there. And I don't think it'll work if you if you put those kind of stipulations in place. Now, of course, you can have a conversation about what that looks like if we ever do find ourselves in a situation where the community is providing for itself and, you know, food rationing and that type of thing. Then I think, you know, my opinion would be obviously performance performance is going to play a hand in who gets what. But when we're talking about setting up these three things, you really just are going for the people who want to be involved, yeah. you know, and you will have people who are gung ho in the beginning and fall off. You know, you, if you're in a neighborhood that's flourishing, you kind of want that to happen. You know, you want to have the, the 20 something couple who's rocking it out in the community garden every weekend. And then all of a sudden, you know what? We had a baby. So we're not, doing that stuff anymore <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, i mean that's yeah. what, that's what you want you know and maybe they come back to it once the baby hits a certain age i mean we've had that we've had that in our own neighborhood and that's fine you know but you really just you have to tap the people who want to do it and understand that there's no way you're ever going to get everyone involved because you can't please everybody you know it's the oldest line in the book but it, that's what it is yeah i i think i think the key that you said was the framework uh, putting together that framework when, if there was ever something that happened, then it could easily be expanded, right? And if you have people in uh, in there like you who could think about, you know, a, a scenario where the neighborhood would have to come together for something like that, then it's you're you can easily expand it to to make it fit what you need it to fit. But you have things in place already and you're not starting from scratch i think that's that's important so that's good good point all right so you know many preppers are hesitant 
about getting out there and and bringing attention to themselves. And you mentioned in the in your book right, that there's four things that kind of uh, hinder us. And uh, I, I thought that that was good. I think it's something that you know we need to kind of hear. Uh, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, in the book, there's a chapter called CCID, and it's not even so much about what hinders preppers in general. It really is about what hinders, I think, the human race currently, you know, particularly Americans from what I can tell. And uh, it's just a short acronym for uh, contamination, centralization, isolation, and dependence. And when I was when I was writing that chapter, I really was trying to figure out, you know, if we could if we could take four things away, what would make us the most strong? You know, what would make us the strongest if we could remove sort of four things? And you know, we'll just kind of take them off the top so you understand what I'm talking about with each. You know, one of the reasons that we are so far off from what we used to be as people in terms of skills and in terms of self-sufficiency is because of the centralization of our massive government and the centralization primarily of our food and drug companies. You know, these massive conglomerates, I hate using these kind of buzzwords, man. <laughs> I was starting to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but that is what it is. These massive corporations have made it, I mean, you could say what you want about it. They've obviously created the population that is around, right? It's because of the convenient food and the convenient drugs that we're all alive and people stay alive and live longer than they ever had. But it's not all good. It, it, it definitely makes us weak, right? And uh, we didn't really start to understand it until we realized that a lot of these centralized powers are creating food and drugs that are kind of doing a little more harm than good, right? Particularly in processed foods and things like that. So uh, taking back power from sort of that centralized, the centralized system that we've created, this sort of, I, I also talk about it as a convenience-based system, right? It's like we've become masters of convenience and uh, it's, it's made us all weak, you know, and that's, that's just the reality of it. Uh, and, the, and that centralization it where where it really shows up and where it really hurts is within communities you know because you find out really quickly that i have everything i need and all i got to do is run to the store and get it i don't need to barter with anyone i don't really need to talk to anybody if i don't want to you know so and that kind of that kind of plays into isolation they all really play into one another but contamination is obviously what's happening to the planet what's happening to people right and a lot of it a lot of contamination ties into these giant centralized food systems, right? Because we know what's happening to our airs and our waters and our places from gigantic factory farming to spraying for pesticides, spraying pesticides, you know, and all that. It's having a tremendous effect, I think, on, on, again, on what, what a person is. You know, so you look at what a person is this day and age, what they're struggling with, the allergies, the asthmas, the, this, the, that. Everybody's got a, everybody's got a thing anymore. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm talking about with contamination. Uh, they, like I said, they both kind of lead to this idea of isolation, which is probably the most terrifying of all, to be honest with you, Todd, because 
it's where we're all headed and and you know the cell phones and the entertainment are they're so precise and strategic they're like surgeons there's so much to do it's unbelievable there's really no reason to ever leave your home there's really no reason to ever talk to another human being ever again because there's so much content there's so much to read there's so much to watch there's so much to play and uh again and and i think they they make it to where you stay on right i mean that's oh yeah that's it's it's they 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 know mentally what or psychologically what they need to do to get you to stay on so you're right on man oh there's no doubt about that autoplay on facebook i mean on youtube <laughs> listen i'm not and when i talk about isolation and entertainment to be honest you know i'm not the type of guy who doesn't watch tv and doesn't play video games either you know i'm, I'm pretty good at regulating myself though you know and not not everybody's like that but when you when you do dilly dally around in that world and you don't spend all your time in it and you're not blind by it you see some crazy stuff you know, so one of the things that's most crazy is, uh, you know, my son and I, we play some video games together. And and what you find out, these sneaky little techniques that they use to keep you coming back, they give you something nowadays called daily rewards. <laughs> so you show up every day to this video game and you might get a, a little currency to buy things within the video game or you might get to open this special chest if you come every day. And it's it's sneaky, no doubt about it. And it's like I said, it's leading to an isolated public. And what is most alarming about that isolation is you're gaining skills in this electronic world and you're losing very important skills in the real world. You know, and I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of that plays into sort of the outrage nation that we have right now. You know, this idea that we can't talk ourselves through a problem anymore. You know, we can't sit down with people and talk and talk to them and figure out why we disagree or say, you know what, we disagree and that's okay. (laughs) You know, we don't have to kill each other. We're losing those skills. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, you know, where I grew up, those those were the skills. Those were the value. It was how can I convince this these group of kids to go play kickball down the street? Because that's what I want to do. It wasn't what can I do in my room by myself, you know? So uh, again, isolation being being part of that sort of diagnosis of problems in America, the CCID, and the final one is dependence. You know, when when you read that fifty five percent of people are receiving some sort of money from the government, kind of says it all. It's not the only version of dependence that we have. You know, the cell phone itself has become a crutch in many ways, but. Americans suffer from a serious amount of dependence on those types of things and drugs and alcohol and, you know, pornography and gambling, all that stuff. It really is a crutch and it manipulates kind of the person that you are. Uh, but more importantly, it's the, it's the grand theft of Liberty, right? Because when you're dependent, you can't be free. It's impossible, mm. you know? So, those four things, they weren't necessarily meant to be for preppers only and how, how it would hinder preppers from getting out into society. It definitely is the idea of, you know, if your goal is to gather humans together on common ground, what are sort of the four things, that the most important things that are keeping us from doing that? And I feel like those four, centralization, contamination, isolation, and dependence really are 
dragging us down quicker than anything else. Yeah, I think I think that's um, a lot of great points there, man. When we when we talk about where we are in America and how far we came, um, I, I think that's it's great. And I think I, I wonder if a lot of us could go back, maybe uh, maybe five years, maybe ten years, and we saw what was happening. You know, we could go back. If we would change some of the things that we, you know, we do really. I mean, like I think about the times that I wasted, you know, wasting away playing, like you said, playing video games. I mean, there was there was a group of guys that I I knew online. We knew each other really really well, but we spent a lot of time online, you know, and uh, we were good friends. Uh, but it was just all online. I think about all the hours I spent there, all the other things, the productive things I could have been doing. And just the wasted, the wasted time that we have, just face, just getting on, just getting on Facebook, right? And uh, I've I've been trying to train myself not to even go to social media unless there's like a notification or I do my devotional or whatever, and I throw it up on Facebook in the morning. But uh, sometimes I get the notifications, and so I go to answer a question or I go to you know check something or whatever. But uh, it's it's it can be very addicting. You find yourself just sitting there scrolling through, <laughs> you know, scrolling through your phone or on your laptop or whatever. And by the time you know it, you've wasted all this time where you could have been doing something very productive. I can't remember who had the hypothesis or the theory, Todd, but I, I have to bring it up since we're on the subject of phones because it's so eye opening. And I, unfortunately, I can't remember who said it. I should steal it. But I'm not. Going to. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was it was the idea that, you know, is there extraterrestrial life and what would they think when they came through the atmosphere? And this theory was the idea that the aliens would think that the cell phones were the planetary inhabitants <laughs> and that they had these big animals that carried them around and followed their orders to a T. <laughs> You know, so the aliens would look down and see us as this kind of barbaric force that carried around the rulers, the rulers being the cell phones, you know? Yeah. And, uh, man, I started thinking about that, and I said, that's deep, and that's scary, because, yeah, you could make that assumption for sure. Yeah. Watch people walk around with their faces glued to their little master, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, that's because I've been, I mean, I have older parents and stuff, and, and uh, you know, back in the day when there was VCRs, and, you know, that you would have the 12 flashing and, and you know, they would call you like, hey, Todd, come fix the, the time or whatever, or the fax machine, come, <laughs> come fix the fax machine. And there was this like, forget it, man. You know, there, there was no technology bone in their life. But all of a sudden we get to this point and, and there were even my parents, they were like prolonging the, the phone, the smartphone. It was the flip phone. It was the brick and, oh, and all yeah. that kind of Put stuff. And then all of a sudden you get, uh, you know, you get the smartphone and, uh, you know, like my dad texts me and stuff now, you know? And so I, I don't, I don't think he knows how to respond, but, <laughs> but, you know, he'll text me something and I'll, I'll text something back and I never hear from him again. But, you know, it's, it's amazing people that you said, oh, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. I mean, eventually it goes there. You know, it sucks him in. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It's a tough thing to avoid, you know? Well, man, you've given us a lot to think about as far as uh, community. And uh, I really like the way that you're approaching this because 
it really takes it out of the mindset of I need to go build this perfect prepper community. And there's some people that can do that. There's some people that can that, that can, you know, find the, the time to do it. You know, somebody emailed me and said, I used to have that and it kind of just disappeared. You know, it just fell apart eventually. Sure, that's life. That's life, right? But in your neighborhood, you you at least are going to be there, you know, in the neighborhood with people. And it does make sense because if you're not planning on bugging out or whatever, or, or you know, you're going to be going through, you know, stuff with these people and, uh, it just makes a lot of sense to be able to start building that community and that relationship with them to uh, to be able to move forward, um, not not just for the poop hit the fan, but just for having good relationships with your neighbors. You know, it just well, makes- there's a lot of value in that. There really is just a lot of value in getting along with the people that surround you. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. Got a lot of good stuff. And uh, so your book is on Amazon. I've noticed that it's on uh it's free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Yep. Mm-hmm. I th- think it's like three ninety nine right now if you yeah. have Kindle and it's nine ninety nine for the paperback. So <laughs> I've linked to that if anyone wants to go check that out. Uh I, I have a copy. You send me a copy. I I, I dig it man. It was, it's a good good read. I love the actually the way you write. I, I do really like the way you write. I because uh, I know that you you do a lot of articles out there and uh, they wind up on a lot of the websites that I sh- that I read from <laughs> from the podcast and so I'm like oh this is James's article right and so uh, I'm like yeah I can I can I can tell just the way that it's written so um, before we go I mean you recently I remember the Prepper Broadcasting Network I I, I you know I, I remember doing a couple of uh, interviews there and and stuff like that in the past. So when you bought it, man, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Or when you took it over, it was like, wow. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing over there at the Prepper Broadcasting Network and, uh, you know, share a little bit about what's happening. Yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, longtime founder, Glenn Martin, kind of, uh, and for the record, Glenn, I mentioned this on many shows as, as we kind of, the, the radio station changed hands, but Glenn Martin really is uh, the real deal. You know, like he's a mountain man, like through and through. He wrote a book called Prepper Survival Navigation. If you read that book, you'll go, okay, yeah, <laughs> there's there's levels to this thing. And, you know, I'm down here and Glenn is up here when it comes to skills and, and living this sort of prepared lifestyle. You know, uh, he met a woman and they lived off grid for a while and, you know, no it wasn't this thing, this big sacrifice, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, we live off grid now. No, he's the real deal. And he started the whole thing. And, and basically the, the mountains were calling to him, Todd, you know, he had done it for 10 years, almost 10 years. And, uh, he came to me and that was kind of the deal. I, I can't put it in any more simpler terms than it was. It was a conversation that consisted of, you know, James, I want to get back out in the mountains with my dog again. And I'm glued to a computer chair doing this sort of situation. I don't want to do it anymore. And uh, it was an opportunity that I jumped at. You know what I mean? Because I'd been broadcasting on the network for six years or whatever. Well, I think it'll be seven years in March, something like that. And, uh, you know, I've had ideas about it in the past. It wasn't the first time he came to me with this idea of maybe I'm done type of thing. And uh, I had a very clear vision for it. And, and what the vision is currently is where we want to, we want to take 
we want to sort of take back the prepper name. And we also want to take away this idea of the fear that goes along with prepping. You know, we want to give people permission to prepare for disaster. As silly as that sounds, what I can deduce from the American people is that's exactly what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for a way to not live a life where they're running around at the supermarket two days before the snowstorm, but they're also a little terrified about being called a prepper. They're also a little terrified about getting sideways looks at work, you know? And I know this for a fact because one time I had a boss and we were, we, we worked our way onto the subject of this preparedness stuff. Now it was a point in my life where I wasn't telling people what I was doing. And I remember her leaning over the desk telling me that, you know, she said, you know, James, I keep a little extra water in the basement. And I, she whispered it to him. We're in a room, just us two. But she whispered it to me as though like the Stasi were listening. <laughs> and that's when I realized America needs some help. Yeah. You know, they're terrified of this thing. So our, our goal is really to redefine the 21st century prepper. You know, we, we really look and we're doing it with great hosts who are, who are about as real as it gets. Parents. You know, uh, we don't have a lot of people. Who, what I like is we don't have a lot of hosts who come from this background of I own this big prepping business and I have all this prepping knowledge because I've been in this prepping business for a very long time. You know, it's it's real people. And uh, that's really what I want people to hear. You know, we have these incredible weekend shows. Weekends at, Pre at the Prepper Broadcasting Network have become like family weekend we have a, our Saturday night shows called a family affair. And I think actually Jordan is with us in the chat room, Jordan, thanks for coming. I don't know if she's with us anymore or not, but she runs a show called a family affair and you can hear her whole family on that show. And it's phenomenal. And, and then we have a Sunday night show called the next generation, which is, it's sort of a, a DIY prepper show that is run by his father and his son. And it's not like it, what's amazing to me about that show is it's a father and a teenage son which is something I didn't even know was possible. I didn't even know fathers and teenage sons talked, to be honest. <laughs> but they do a whole DIY prepper show that is fantastic. But anyway, we don't have to go down the whole line of, of hosts and hostesses and that type of thing. It's just uh, we've revamped the website, Todd. We had, a, we had a kind of an outdated website. We jumped from Blog Talk Radio to Spreaker. We have a, a way better sound over there, prepperbroadcasting.com. So if you have listened to it in the past and you weren't really thrilled with that kind of stuff, I implore you to go check it out, prepperbroadcasting.com. Uh, we really are focusing on putting out content from real preppers. You know, we'll have hosts, we'll have guests on and we'll have, you know, the big names on from time to time. I think last Sunday, Ron Foster was on one of the shows. Um, but really where the, where the, value for me comes is in listening to regular preppers, regular people talk about, you know, what it means to be a prepper for a regular person, not a doomsday prepper on that geo. Yeah. That's, that's great, man. That's great. So can people, um, I know because my pod, you know, there's people that, uh, listen to the podcast and they're, they're listening. Do they, can you get it on iTunes? Can you subscribe to, uh, the, you know, on your podcast catcher, all, you know, uh, can you get it that way or is it all web-based? No, yeah, it's, I think we're effect effectively everywhere right now. Awesome. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure about Stitcher because I haven't done the search 
myself, but I'm pretty sure it's there too. I can tell you the big ones, Google Play, we're in Google Play, we're in iTunes, we're, uh, we're in all the big, the big ones. So I imagine if you have a podcast grabber, it's going to find it. Uh, just search Prepper Broadcasting Network and there's no doubt you'll find it. For iTunes listeners, this is probably worth mentioning. Uh, we never got the old login <laughs> for the iTunes account, so we actually have a new one now. Uh, so you may need to find the newest episodes until I get that all worked out with iTunes. I'm sure that's not going to be fun, but they're going to have to let me in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, all the big ones you can find us, and and you can also go to the website and listen there if you wanted to. Uh, the the one thing that you cannot do anymore that we used to be able to do with Pret with Blog Talk Radio is a phone dial in. Uh, we still do live shows. You know, that that was one of the things we did not want to lose was the ability to do live shows. Over at Prepper Broadcasting, we've always done live shows, and we didn't want to lose that. So we're still doing live shows and a live chat five nights out of the week, Wednesday through Sunday. And, uh, you know, it just adds another layer to sort of the whole broadcasting thing. You come in, you ask questions, you interact, you have a good time. Awesome, awesome. All right, man. So um, I've linked to your Prepper Broadcasting Network on Facebook. Um, the, what's the website URL just so everybody can hear that? Yeah, the website URL, PrepperBroadcasting.com. .com. All right. That's easy. How can, uh, if people wanted to connect with you and Prepper Broadcasting Network, what other ways can they connect with you? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're on Instagram. Uh, the I Am Liberty show is on Instagram. Also, that's my live show that I do Wednesday. And Prepper Broadcasting Network, that's our name on Instagram. And I run both of those. So really, if, if you want to interact with us on a daily basis, that's kind of where you're going to get updates. And I do. I use the Instagram countdown feature for each of our shows on a daily basis. Uh, we have a contact form at the bottom of the site also. That will also be emailed to me. So <laughs> unfortunately, you're going to be dealing with me a lot if you want to talk to anyone about PrepperBroadcasting.com, which is not a bad thing. But uh, that's basically it, though, for now. We also have a Facebook page where... You know, the content really, to be honest with you, the, if you're if you're on our Facebook page, if you're on our Instagram page, if you visit our website, you're going to get all the same content. You know, it's really just a big loop. You know how it goes with yeah. auto sharing and stuff like that. We only have so much time. So posts get auto shared. Shows come up automatically on our Facebook when they're when they're live and when they're uh, archived. So you'll get it awesome. if you find us one way you're likely to get it all that's awesome well what i have found is some people prefer one one platform over the other so you have people that are you know just love to stay on instagram and other people that love to you know on facebook and other people that don't like to be on any social media and that's why you know having the website and being able to get to it from there is important so a lot of good stuff man hey i want to say thank you james for coming on and spending an hour of your time uh, with us this evening, uh, you're you know, like you said uh, already. You're a family man. You have kids, all that good stuff. And uh, so I know that an hour out of your time is a big deal. So I just wanted to say thank you for coming and, and talking to us about this important topic. Hey, it's my pleasure, Todd. I mean, we've been doing this thing together for a while, and it's it's rare that you know one of the weird things about this thing is we meet all these people online there's a good chance we never meet in real life. So it's a, it's a blessing to sit down and talk with you whenever I get the chance to, because we've been working together for a while. And uh, it's, to be honest with you, it's rare that I get to talk about this convert, this, this sort of topic of uh, community preparedness from a different angle. 
uh, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. I yeah. love coming on and I love talking about it. Yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Sure, definitely. Vice yeah. versa. Well, James, thanks so much for being a part of this interview and sharing your information and your strategies on building community in our local neighborhoods. Hey, guys, if you want to hear more from James or the Prepper Broadcasting Network, I'm going to link to them in the show notes and you can go over. They have a bunch of different hosts and different shows that you can, you know, a little bit of everything for for anyone, for whatever you're looking for. And so, uh, like I said, I'm going to link to it in the show notes and you can go right over there. I'm also going to link to James James's uh, book, Come Unity, Community. Now, I can't link to it in the show notes because that's against Amazon's terms, but I'm going to link to the, uh, the to the episode on the Prepper Website Podcast website. And so you can link there and then go straight over to Amazon and purchase it. And remember, anytime you purchase through one of our links, uh, when you go to Amazon, that gives us a little percentage, a small percentage, but a little bit and a little bit goes a long way. And so we do really appreciate that. So again, thanks so much, James. And guys, don't forget those links that I'm going to be linking to in the show notes. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 559. Hey, don't forget, if you are looking for more preparedness information, you can come over to Prepper website. We link to the best articles every single day, 24-7, and you can always find something great. Remember, we have pages that are dedicated to alternative news, firearms, frugal living, DIY, and even conspiracy theories. So there's something there for everyone. And don't forget, if you're not subscribed to the podcast or maybe you're new, then you can come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and you can link to any of the podcasting networks that we are on. And we're actually, we're on all of them. Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on all of them. And so that way it makes it really easy to listen to our podcast when you subscribe. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget to take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.